Hey, good morning. How are you, church? You, you know, I don't, I don't know where each of us are at when it comes to um, worshiping our God, but I just pray that you just get better. Just, just get better. Be better this week than you were last, and be better next week than you are this week. As we learn about our God and as we understand His great love for us, it should cause us to, to worship that much more easily and, and joyfully and thankfully, right? Um, so that we can worship in a way where we, we really don't care who's around us, right? God's worthy of that kind of praise, I think. Amen? Man. I've said it before, sometimes transitioning from worship to preaching is just really hard for me. I just want to stay in that place. But duty calls. And I'm up here to proclaim God's word to you because he's so good, he's so faithful. I want to get you up to speed on a couple things. As many of you know, Pastor Dave has had received a second round of treatments this week, but he's home. He got home yesterday, and he's doing well. Um, he's getting stronger, so please keep praying for our, our beloved brother. I miss him a lot. I'm sure many of you do as well. So keep praying, please. Please keep praying. Um, what a joy it was if you were here last week to listen to Pastor Chris, our church plant pastor from Heath, Texas, who preached at all three services last week, and it was amazing. If you weren't here, please watch it online, you know, or listen to the audio online, um, and keep praying for him and Renee as they transition out of their current church and, and uh, start on Monday, the 26th of February uh, in Heath, Texas. So be praying for Chris and Renee and their daughter Finley, who's five, and Deacon, who's three. Uh, thank you for praying. Please keep doing so, Okay. On March 10 and 11, we start a new book. That new book is called Philippians. It can be found in the New Testament, and it is four chapters long. And so my encouragement to you between now and March 10 and 11 is to read Philippians in one sitting. If you can do that more than once, try to do it more than once. It's four chapters, 15, 20 minutes. Read all the Philippians in one sitting and try to do that multiple times um, prior to our reading service on March 10 and 11. And then lastly, um, this Friday, we have the Honduras uh, Bingo Spaghetti Dinner Fundraiser thing. So try to make it, try to, make it to that. Let's, let's raise some money. Let's change some lives in another part of the world, right? And be part of that thing, okay? All right, so let me get us up to speed on a few things uh, let me turn to my notes, and we're going to rock and roll. So let me give you a summary. We're, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10 this morning. And so let me give you a real quick recap of chapters 1 through 9. In chapter 1 of Nehemiah, word comes to Nehemiah that things back in Jerusalem aren't so good, that the city's destroyed, the walls are down, the gates are burned. That's chapter 1. So in chapter 2, Nehemiah goes to his boss, who happens to be the king, and he says to King Artaxerxes, can I go? back to my hometown and help rebuild. And he's the king's cupbearer, which is a really important position, but as God would have it, God shows him favor and he allows Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters, we see all these people doing all kinds of projects as they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we just see this beautiful picture of the church in chapter 3. And so 
The church is making progress. The city walls are being built, and the enemy doesn't like that, so the enemy ramps up his attacks. And so in chapter 4, we see attacks from the outside. In chapter 5, we see attacks from the inside. And then in chapter 6, we see attacks on Nehemiah personally. But then in chapter 7, we see that the wall is finished. And God populates the city with his people of pure Jewish descent in chapter 7. And then everything shifts from the focus on being on the wall. In chapter 8, the focus now becomes the word of God. What a shock. And the people are so excited and they have like these three and six hour um, uh, services repenting and focusing on the word. And it brings them a lot of joy, but it brings a lot of mourning as well. And then in chapter 9, they pray. And they they recalibrate through their prayer where they recognize their sin and they recognize the magnificence of God. And then that brings us into chapter 10. And for some twisted reason, I couldn't help but thinking about this video clip. And I don't know if the the audio is going to be just perfect, but do the best you can to fight along with this this audio clip here, or this video. I don't know how Barbara can stand. Yeah. All right, I got one. My best day. This isn't the one about Arlene and that loose step, is it? No. No, my wedding day. What? Yeah, remember that day? Outdoor wedding. Arlene looked great. Water pills really worked. You guys were all smiling at me, and my dad, in the front, gives me a little wink. You know? I mean, he's not the warmest of men, but he winked. You know, he was the first one of us to get married and have a real job, and I remember thinking, I'm grown up. You know, I'm, I, I'm not a goofball anymore. I made it. I felt like a man. It's the best day of my life. What was your worst day? Every day since is a tie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like for three years I've been trying to work that video clip into a message. I might be stretching it, but I just couldn't help myself. It's one of the funniest lines of any movie I have ever, ever seen. But it's a wedding, right? It's, it's the same thing. We, this is what's happening in, in Nehemiah, right? So they have this incredible prayer. And, and then they say amen, right? It's like, it's like that wedding day, right? But then what happens after amen? What happens after the wedding day? We have a whole life to live with God. And so... This message is about what do we do when we're done saying amen. This, this amazing prayer in chapter 9. But then they say amen. And every day after that should be an amazing day with our God. We should be living for our God. How do we live life after we say the word amen? Are we transitioning from amen to being in agreement with the things that we've prayed? Oh Lord, I hope we do. This is the outline for today. In verses 1 through 27, we, we see all these names, 84 in total, who signed a covenant to live past their amen. And then we see this separation that God's people were to separate ourselves to the Lord and from the world. And so in verses 28 through 31, we see the separation and then the importance of the house of God, the sanctuary in verses 32 through 39. Let's, if you're not there already, open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 1 through 27, and then we're going to talk about it, and then I'll read the next verses, and we'll talk about that. Nehemiah chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Actually, if you go back to verse 38 in chapter 9, it says, Now because of this prayer and all the things that we recognize, we're making an agreement in writing, and on the sealed document are the names 
of our leaders, our Levites and our priests. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Now on the sealed document were the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah. Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malkijah, Hattish, Shebaniah, Malak, Haram, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, Maziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah. These were the priests. And of the Levites, Jeshua the son of Azaniah, Benui of the sons of Henadad, Cadmiel, also their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalida, Paliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zachar, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, Benanu. The leaders of the people are these, Perish, Pehath-Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Bibai, Adonijah, Bigvi, Aden, Ader, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashem, Bezai, Hereph, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpish, Meshulam, Hezer, Meshezebel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Aniah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashab, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Ram, Hashibna, Messiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Malak, Haram, and Banna. I, I, I think I missed one, if I'm being honest. So you guys can go back and try to figure out which one I missed. <laughs> I might have been two. Those are important names. Last week, Pastor Chris, when he was here, he, he told a story. He opened up his message with how faithful his mom had been over the years, as many of our parents have been so faithful when, when we're knuckleheads and we're learning our way through life. And many of us perhaps are still in that place. Um, but then he transitioned to how that reminds him of, of God, who's faithful as well. And it's kind of what uh, Pastor Doug was talking about for the father-daughter dance. And, and so I ask, you know, I wonder how many of us truly recognize that God is faithful. How, how do we, how many of us really truly recognize that, that we serve a faithful God? Do we stop long enough? Do we recognize? Do we know enough of our God to, to know that He truly is faithful? Did you awake this morning with the assurance? And do you walk throughout this day with the confidence that God is faithful? Here's some verses. What, this is out of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. That we're, we're to know, to know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Oh, church, our God is faithful. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. I love this because it reminds me of our church name, The Rock. Our God's a rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is our God. Psalm 89, verse 8. The psalmist says this, O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, which means nobody is like you, O mighty Lord. 
your faithfulness surrounds you. When you think of God, do you think of Him as a God whose faithfulness surrounds Him? Oh, I hope you do. And so making a covenant with a faithful God, when we, when we put ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, making a covenant with a faithful God doesn't mean that faithfulness only flows one way from Him to us. Like Abraham, who was mentioned in chapter 9, we must also prove faithful to Him. Look at chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 of Nehemiah, where it talks about, in this prayer, about Abraham, verses 7 and 8. You are the Lord God. You, you chose Abram and you brought him out and you gave him the name Abraham. And you found his heart faithful before you. And you made a covenant with him. I'll be faithful to you and you be faithful to me. To give him the land of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, Jebusite, Girgashite to give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise. Why? Because you are righteous. So we serve a faithful God. He's faithful to us. But we must be faithful in return back to him. Look at Psalm 12, verse 1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be For the faithful man or the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Look, the word godly and the word faithful are equal. The godly man disappears, the faithful man disappears, right? The godly man ceases, the faithful man disappears. If we're faithful men or women, then we're godly. If we're not faithful, we're not godly. That's what the psalmist says. Our faithfulness is what determines our godliness. Galatians 5, right? So Jesus left and He empowered us with the Holy Spirit. We are to be Spirit-led. And so the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and what? Faithfulness. Faithfulness should describe our lives as followers of our Lord. Not just His faithfulness to us, but our faithfulness to us to him. And so I ask, does the word faithfulness describe you and your relationship with God? Does the word faithfulness describe you and your relationship with our Lord? Would your life serve as a great example of faithfulness like Chris was talking about his mom's life? Would your life serve as a great example? If somebody was teaching a class on faithfulness, would your name or could your name be brought up? If you were to look in the dictionary, the word faithfulness, could we put your picture next to that definition? (laughs) So let me ask you, what's preventing you from being faithful to the Lord? What's preventing you from being faithful to the Lord who's faithful to us? What is your life declaring as more important than the Lord? You get what I'm asking? Like, what's so important? Please tell me, what's so important? What is your life declaring is more important than the Lord God? There are 84 names that we just read in those verses 1 through 27. I wonder if our name would be on there. Would we be willing to make an oath and make a covenant with God? Would we be willing to advance from saying amen to sealing an agreement? 
Would that be us? That would we be the kind of people that can advance from saying amen to sealing an agreement? I hope so. Are we as committed to being faithful to him who was faithful to us? See, these are signatures, seals in chapter 10 of these 84 people. And so I wonder, what have we put our signature next to over our lifetimes? Collectively. We put our signature next to so many things, don't we? We put our signature next to so many things. What have we put our signature next to? What promises have we made outside of our God? We do it all the time. And most of us probably meet all those commitments. And yet we often don't make that same commitment to our Lord. We don't put our seal or our signature and make a covenant of faithfulness with our God. That's our first stanza. Our second stanza is this separation, this call to be separate. Look at Nehemiah 10. We're going to read verses 28 through 31. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, they separated themselves to the law of God and their wives and their sons and their daughters and all those who had knowledge and understanding. And they're joining with their kinsmen, all those that were listed, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God and his ordinances and his statutes. And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land, and we're not going to take their daughters for our sons. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day, and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Maybe it's obvious, but perhaps it's not. But the biggest factor in whether or not we are indeed faithful to the Lord is determined by whether or not we are faithful to the world. That's what these verses are telling us. The biggest factor in whether or not we're faithful to the Lord is determined by whether or not we are faithful to the world. We can't do both. Would we dare to record the activities of our life for a week or for a month and assess which things reflect a faithfulness to the Lord and which things reflect a faithfulness to the world? Mm. Each of us each of us is faithful to something. If you do nothing all day, you're faithful to laziness. I'm looking forward to a day like that. I cannot wait, right? We're all faithful to something. I challenge you to figure out what that might be. Every one of us is faithful to something. Identify it. Declare it. If you must, confess it. And repent and turn from it. See, Joshua understood this. In Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, he said, Hey, look, people, his people, God's people, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away those gods. Anything before God is a god, a small god with a small g. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, like these are harsh words, right? Choose. 
Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And so I challenge you, like Joshua challenged the people, choose. Choose. Make a choice. And then execute. Go from amen to agreement. Go from amen to agreement. And execute. Repentance, as we know, is not only turning from something, but turning what? To something. That's what it means to repent. To turn from a sinful course of action and to turn back to the Lord. And that's what these people had to do. God's people. Look again at verse 28. Check this out. It says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from and to. Right? Here's from. From the peoples of the lands. That's the world. To the law of God. From the world to God's word. From the world to the word. Our text reveals that we are either people of the world or of the word. We're either people of the world or we're people of the word. That's what our text is telling us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17 through 17 say this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Well, what about this? Yeah, that, 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 that's included. Yeah, but what about this? Yeah, that's included. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from God. It's from the world. And the world's passing away, church. And also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Where do we find the will of God? In the Word of God. The Word keeps us from the world. The Word keeps us from the world. And the world keeps us from the Word. Hey, look, it's just a reality. I I mean, don't raise hands, but there's probably a good chance that 60 to 80 percent of us in this room struggle with getting into God's Word on a daily basis. Maybe, maybe higher. It's just a large number, almost always. And then we, we have these challenges with the world and we wonder why. The Word keeps us from the world and the world keeps us from the Word. It keeps us from doing, God's Word keeps us from doing our will so we can do His will. Keeps us from doing our will so we can do His will. Verse 29, look at what verse 29 says. It says that all these people, they're joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to do what? Not to just say amen, but to walk in God's law, which was given to Moses, and to keep and to observe. To walk, not to just say amen, but to agree to walk, to be faithful to the God that's faithful to them. They didn't take an oath simply to gain knowledge, but to walk, to keep, and to observe. Amen? One commentary says this. I love this. It says, we don't succeed as Christians because we make promises to God, but because we believe the promises of God and we act upon them. 
Note that it doesn't say in verse uh, 28 that they separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the peoples of God. It doesn't say that. Isn't that interesting? Right? That's what it says in the middle. They separated themselves, verse 28, from the peoples of the lands to the peoples of God. No, to the law of God. They separated themselves from the peoples to God's law. Hmm. Here's the thing. (laughs) We can be immersed in God's people. You can come here. You can come to Saturday service, two services on Sunday morning. You can go to a community group every night of the week. You can be immersed with God's people and yet not be immersed in his word. But I proclaim that it's nearly impossible to be immersed in his word and not be immersed with his people. As we immerse ourselves in his word, we recognize that we're the church. We recognize all the one another's, how to love one another and how to be the church. As we're immersed in his word, we will be immersed with his people. That's how important God's word is. Look, (laughs) the minute we begin to set aside his word, we're no longer separate. That's what happened. That's what happened to his people. They set aside his word and they just got swallowed up into the world. The minute we begin to set aside his word, we are no longer separate. We, church, we're called to be holy. That means set apart. It means separate. That's our calling. And we cannot be holy unless we are separated from something, the world, and to something, the word. They separated from the peoples to the law of God. Mm. Psalm 1. Turn to Psalm 1. It's a little to your right. Last night I thought it was a little to the left. And it turned out it's a little to the right. So I remembered. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, the world. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which will yield its fruit when? In its season. So often we're frustrated and God says, it's not the season for fruit. And its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's those who are in his word, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so I say again, if we are not in the word... More than likely, we are in the world. If we are not in the Word, then more than likely, we are in the world. Our last stanza, the sanctuary, verses 32 through 39. As I read these verses back in Nehemiah chapter 10, you'll notice in every verse it talks about the sanctuary. It talks about the house of God in every single verse. In all eight verses, 32 through 39, check this out. We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. And then for the showbread, which is for the continual grain offering, burnt offering, Sabbath, the new moon, the appointed times, the holy things, the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. 
Verse 34, likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people, so that they might bring it to the house of our God, according to our Father's households at fixed times annually, to burn on the altar of the Lord, as it is written, and that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree, where? To the house of the Lord annually. Verse 36, and bring to the house of our God (laughs) the firstborn of our sons, cattle, herds, flocks, as it is written, for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. And we will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine, oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. Verse 38, the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive these tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Thus we will not neglect the house of of our God. The Lord's house is important to him. The Lord's house is important to him. I commend this church for treating the Lord's house well. I think we do well there, church. Thank you so much. In each of those verses as well, we see the word bring or contribute. That the church is to bring and to contribute. And we do well there also. Such a generous giving church. Thank you so much. And I know we know this, but belonging to the Lord's house goes hand in hand with bringing to the Lord's house. I, I, I'm, I'm not an ask for money guy from the pulpit. If I, if I think, I'm, if I'm going to ask you for money, I'm going to call you. I, I have no problem doing that. Just saying, yeah, you need to give more money, man. What's, what's your problem? Right? Like, we'll have it out personally. But I understand that there's a time in Scripture where we just kind of have to talk about it, right? So I don't want to shy away from that because we're an incredibly generous church here. Amazingly generous. Thank you so much. But belonging to the Lord's house goes hand in hand with bringing to the Lord's house. Belonging means bringing. But let's not stop there. We must come to recognize that belonging not only leads to bringing, but it also leads to blessing. Belonging means bringing, but it leads to blessing turn to the last chapter or the last book of the old testament it's called malachi the italian prophet also known as malachi i've heard that somewhere go to malachi i think that's the last book right of the old testament is that right okay yes all right many of us know these verses right belonging to the house of god leads to bringing, which leads to blessing. Look at Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. <laughs> this, I mean, this is rough, man. If, if somebody was talking to me like this, I'd be freaking out. Will a man rob God? Like, it's like, right? Like, if you're going to rob somebody, that's probably the wrong person to rob is God. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, the Lord says through the prophet. You say, how? How have we robbed you? And the Lord says, in your tithes and offerings, And so you're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, 
so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. I learned that lesson as a young man and I never relented. Never. And that's exactly been true. Oh, I don't have cash pouring out of my pockets, but the Lord has cared for me and I'm just humbled by that every, every, every step of the way. His blessing is poured out on me. And I'm just so thankful. And so I ask you, are we bringing to the Lord's house that which belongs to His house? Are we bringing to the Lord's house that which belongs to His house? We mentioned in those verses a third of a shekel, showbread, wood, first fruits of the ground, first fruits of the fruit, firstborn sons, firstborn cattle, firstborn herds, firstborn flocks, first of the dough, fruit of every tree, wine, oil, and the tithe of their ground. I ask again, are we bringing to the Lord's house that which belongs to His house? You heard that word first. First fruits, firstborn, first, first, first. That means best. It means best. Is the Lord getting our best? Is He getting the best of our time? Is He getting the best of our resources? Hey, check it out. You know what we got from God? We got His best. We got His best. Our faithful God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, a perfect man who died for us, He gave us His best. Are we giving Him our best? Look at that very last line of verse 39 back in Nehemiah chapter 10. It says, Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. How might you and I be neglecting the house of God? Look, at, there's this thing called stewardship. We're, we're called to be stewards of what the Lord's blessed us with, right? Steward means we, nothing's ours. Nothing's ours. Nothing is, stewardship means it belongs to somebody else and we're entrusted with it to be wise stewards. It's all His. And so to truly understand stewardship is the most fiscally responsible thing we can do with our money. Right? Winston Churchill said this. He says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Make a life. Show up Friday night and support the missions, um, the Honduras trip fundraiser. If you can't show up, cut a check. Right? There's, I think, something on the uh, welcome table about how you can uh, partner with the church plant in, in Heath, Texas, and so many of you have done that already. It's amazing. There's opportunities all around us. So how often... Do we say amen in the course of a week? And are we willing to transition from an amen to an agreement, a life of faithfulness to a God who's faithful to us? What a great challenge for us this morning. Yes? I'm going to invite the worship team up. And as they're working their way up, I'm going I'm to pray real quick. And then after the service is over, if you need prayer, come, please go see our prayer team down here in the corner. It's so good to be with you guys. What a privilege to do this with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for treating the house of God so well. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you would help us 
to submit to being faithful to you in return. Help us to transition from a, from a prayer of amen to a life of agreement to live faithfully for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.